Tonight's topic is the seven sayings from the cross. Uh, Some people would call it the seven last words. If you tell someone, hey, I'd like to have a word with you, you don't normally just say one word, but you want to have a conversation or you want to say something. And so uh, seven sayings from the cross or the seven last words, if you've ever heard it that way. The sayings will be coming from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, so Jesus obviously had a lot to say prior to being crucified, but we're going to be looking specifically at the, the seven things that he said once he was on the cross. Just for a very brief uh, background, I'd like to look at um, John chapter 13, verse 1. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And so um, there are different things that we look forward to, uh, maybe in a happy way or a a way that we're not quite sure about, but we're we're kind of glad when it's over, and this is uh, the way it is for Jesus. But it says he loved his disciples unto the end, and so he's pretty much saying "This this is it, this is the end. And we know there's a little bit more to come, but um, it was his time to depart out of the world. The amount of time that we'll be looking at specifically will be uh, the final, for the most part, the final six hours of Christ's life. They would call it the third hour through the ninth hour. We would know, know it as uh, 9 o'clock a.m. to 3 o'clock p.m., then in John thirteen two, and I'm not going to read maybe all of the words in some of the verses that I reference, but it said, "And supper being ended, and then it went on, it said, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, then Judas left, and Jesus comforted his disciples. John 17, 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. So um, he knows the time is nearing the end. He's, uh, he has been in conversation with the Father. He's prayed over uh, the years to his Father in heaven, even though uh, he wasn't there uh, in heaven with him. He would be in communication with him. He says, Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. John 17, verse 4. Jesus said this, it's interesting because it says he's already done, he finished the work. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Uh, And then uh, as it progressed from there, they sang a hymn. He went out to the garden with his disciples and he spent time in prayer. He was betrayed, arrested, tried, and sentenced to death. So that pretty much brings us up to what we want to talk about, and we'll talk about the, I have finished the work um, a little bit more later. So I'd like to read now out of John chapter 19. John chapter 19, starting with verse 16. Um, A lot of our Bibles have little captions above some verses. And I tried to make a comparison between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So all of these, um, I started in with my study and and these verses uh, where it says the crucifixion. So I don't know if you have that in your Bible or not, but my Bible says the crucifixion. John 19, verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Now, as he was going, if you look in uh, Luke 23, he did say some more things, uh, but he was not yet on the cross. 
Um, and he had turned and talked to some uh, ladies that were weeping. But we're going to start in with what he said once he was on the cross. So Pilate had delivered Jesus, and um, he told the people that he didn't think he had done anything wrong, but to please the people, he, he allowed them to do this. But we're going to look at Jesus a little bit now. He had been awake for uh, over 24 hours. He had spent the night praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been arrested during his trial. He had been spat upon. His beard had been plucked out. He had been buffeted, smitten with the palms of their hands. He had had a crown of thorns put on his head, and then uh, they took a reed and uh, hit him on top of the head with that um, crown of thorns being there. He had been scourged, and now as a condemned man, he was carrying his own cross to the site of crucifixion. Uh, It wasn't just what he uh, experienced uh, physically, but he was also bearing the weight of the sin of the whole world on his shoulders. And so uh, the soldiers noticed uh, did he collapse? I don't know what it says in the Bible, but they noticed that he was struggling. And um, one commentary that I read it said the soldiers may have thought this. We've got to get the nails through his hands and through his feet. We can't let this man die of exhaustion under his cross. We've got to get him up on the cross, and then he can die. So um, they saw someone walking toward them, and they grabbed him, compelled him to carry the cross. Walking toward the crowd was uh, Simon the uh, Cyrenian. Cyrenian. Uh, and so the soldiers compelled him to carry the cross, and his plans were changed because he was not walking in the same direction as they were, from the way it sounds in the Bible. He needed to stop, turn around, carry this heavy, um, dirty, rugged, and bloody cross for what he assumed was a criminal going uh, to his own crucifixion. Well, Jesus was going to a crucifixion, but he was was not guilty. But Simon was required, was compelled to carry that cross. Simon was, um, I didn't measure this myself, but I got it from a commentary. He was 783 miles from his hometown, so we don't know if he was in the area just for a visit for the Passover, or whether he had permanently relocated. But as I said, the Bible says he was walking in toward the city uh, at the same time as Jesus was being led away from the city uh, to his crucifixion outside the walls of the city. So um, let's go to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse uh, 32. And there were also two other malefactors uh, led with him to be put to death. In verse 33, the first part, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, um, and again, the way the stories are told, they're true, but the way the Gospels are written, you get some bits and pieces from different Gospels. So in Mark fifteen twenty three, it said that they gave him to drink. They gave him wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. So did they give that to him prior to uh, putting the nails through his hands or right after they put the nails in his hands? But it was a, a kind, of, um, kind of anesthetic. It was a drugged wine. It would have dulled the pain, but Jesus refused to have that pain dulled. He suffered uh, with the full, the full pain. He suffered on our behalf. So then Luke 23, starting with uh, the second half of verse 33. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then here's our first saying from the cross, because he's now... Nailed to the cross, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiments and cast lots. Either the Roman soldiers were driving the nails in his hands and feet at the time, or he may have just been raised um, up in the air on the cross, but regardless, this is at the beginning of when he was crucified, and... um, 
when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, uh, he bore my sins to the cross, he bore our sins to the cross, and so we could say that our sins nailed him to the cross. We could say, I nailed him to the cross, not that I was there, but I'm part of um, humanity. And so, um, currently, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, uh, interceding for us, but he actually began interceding for mankind prior to his death. Uh, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At the very least, it would have been the Roman soldiers. Could have been the Roman soldiers and anyone that was present there. Uh, but it could also be um, that we're all looped together on this, and he was um, asking the Father to forgive mankind because they didn't know uh, what all the they had to, uh, had done, um, making him go to the cross. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, um, there are three things I wanted to uh, look at there. It says, He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So in the New Testament, um, it says specifically um, that there were three that were being crucified, and he was in the middle, and there was one on the right and one on the left. So he was numbered. There were three of them. Three crucified that day. He bare the sin of many. And again, I just mentioned that. He uh, bore our sins on the cross. And so um, as many as uh, will come to him and accept him as Savior, he has um, borne our sins. He made intercession for the transgressors, and that was uh, there where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So there's just a lot of, and I won't mention them all, but there's a lot of references in the Old Testament, a lot of prophecies uh, that he fulfilled uh, in, in the crucifixion. Then moving forward, it says in uh, verse 34, which we had read, they parted his uh, raiment and cast lots. Roman legal texts indicate that executioners had the legal right to uh, split up the belongings of the person that was uh, accused, the minor possessions. And it says, uh, according to what we saw see in the Bible, that there were four soldiers. In John 19, verse 23... I'll read verse 23 and 24. So John 19, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part. So that's where we get the four soldiers. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Verse 24. They said, therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, for uh, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, and this is coming from Psalm 22, verse 18, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. And so just even down to his clothing, this part here will split, this part here we won't. Uh, it was part of prophecy. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. All right, so that was the, the first saying, Father, uh, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second saying, um, we'll be talking about that here soon. In Isaiah 53, verse 9, the first part, it said, And he made the gra his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So again, who were the ones that were dying that day, that were being crucified with Jesus? It was two thieves. And so there's his death with the wicked. Now, they quite possibly weren't rich. But when he did die, he gave up the ghost. Um, Joseph of Arimathea asked for his body and buried him in his tomb. And so we would say that um, Joseph would have been a rich, a wealthy person. And so there is his grave with the wicked and rich in his death. Again, uh, two pieces in one verse, two different prophecies uh, that were fulfilled. Pilate wrote a title on, on a, a board or something uh, and put it on the cross. It was written in three different languages, and I don't know if he made special effort to do this, if they typically would write it 
write a, a, this is what the crime is, and if they would typically do it in three different languages, but he wanted to make sure he made a point here, I think. In John 19, 19, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And in Luke 23, 38, it's a little bit different. It says, this is the king of the Jews. Now, the chief priests didn't like that. They said, uh, don't word it that way. Say it this way, right? He said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And he didn't change it. Now, Pilate was actually right. Whether he knew it or not, whether he's being sarcastic or not, probably wanted to get a jab in um, at the Jews. Here, look, here's your king, and he's dying. But he was right. Jesus is uh, king. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. In Matthew 27, uh, verses 40 through 43, I won't be reading all of that, but I'm going to be giving you some of the comments that people made as they uh, were reviling Jesus. They that passed by said, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests, scribes, and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now in Matthew 27, verse 44, it said that the thieves, and that's plural, So both of them, two of them were crucified. It said the thieves also joined in in taunting Jesus. And um, so it didn't stay that way, but right at first, both thieves uh, joined in with those kinds of comments to Jesus. Now, I'm going to be reading from uh, Luke 23, starting with verse 39. I'm going to be reading for several verses, so if you'd like to turn to that, I apologize. I've Got all my notes out here. You have to keep flipping back and forth. Uh, But Luke 23, verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So apparently, uh, very quickly, one of the thieves had a change of heart. Jesus was innocent. Both criminals were guilty. The penitent thief actually rebuked the other thief and said, Don't you fear God? And he had just been doing the same thing himself, but um, he had a guilty conscience. He said, we indeed received condemnation justly. So sometimes in our court system, even today, sometimes people are accused of and convicted of a crime falsely. But here he must have known the other man. And he said, "We, we deserve this. We were justly condemned. For we receive the due reward for our deeds. So whatever it was, they must have known that crucifixion would be uh, the penalty if they got caught. But this man hath done nothing amiss. We are guilty. He is innocent. We deserve this. He doesn't. The penitent thief had heard the taunts of the people. He'd even joined in with them to start with. But then with his faltering understanding, he casts himself on Jesus' mercy, and he is amply rewarded. He receives the assurance of everlasting blessing starting that very day. I had to think of a a verse which is not in the Gospels, but I'd like to look at that just a little bit. The verse uh, out of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Dost thou not fear God? So, you know, there's people today that say, oh, there's no, there's no God, so I can do whatever. But he did believe that there was a God. 
says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he said, Jesus, Lord. So he came to him, uh, believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He said, remember me when thou comest uh, into thy kingdom. Also interesting, I, you know, sometimes we think of criminals maybe not being very educated. Maybe he couldn't read um, either he read the plaque across the top of the cross, or he heard other people talking about it. Oh, look, here's a king. He's being crucified. But notice what he said at the very end, when thou comest into thy kingdom. So he was saying, Jesus, you are a king. I recognize that. You're God. I believe in God. Um, I'm coming to you. I'm asking you to save me and remember me when you come into your kingdom. Um, I recognize you as king. Also, I thought of uh, John 3.16 in that uh, section, in that chapter, the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, so here's your first one, a thief, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have have everlasting life. And that whosoever, the thief, believed and he asked for and received um, the promise that he would uh, be with Jesus. The opposite then is true as well, which uh, we would assume is what happened with the other thief. John three eighteen. he that believeth on him, he that believeth not on him, sorry, let's try it again. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right, so again, the belligerent thief, no faith, believe not, please not God, was condemned and perished. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the penitent thief admitted guilt, had faith, believed, pleased God, was not condemned, and received everlasting life. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He acknowledged his guilt and wickedness was welcomed by Christ, and we too can find salvation if we acknowledge our sinfulness. All right, the third saying. Um, when I looked at this, I almost got the impression that they only took part of it, but if you look at a Bible that has Jesus' words in red, uh, he said, Woman, behold thy son. He also said, Behold thy mother. So that's going to be all lumped together as one saying. In John 19, verse 25, I'm going to read a couple verses there. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Um, I always thought of it as, well, once the whole deal was over, the crucifixion was done, Jesus died, he took her uh, to his own home. Um, But I've also read that he actually did it right away, and uh, that could make sense as well. She's gone through a lot. She's suffered through a lot. She doesn't need to see Jesus die. Uh, Here, mother, he's his new mom. Here, mother, come to my house. I'll take care of you. So even during his crucifixion, Jesus was thinking of others. He thought of the the people that were... uh, Nailing him to the cross, he was thinking of the thief on the cross. He was also thinking of his mother. As the oldest son in the family, he had the uh, obligation to care for his mother. And it's a good possibility that he passed that on to John, which was one of his closest friends, um, because Jesus' brothers had not yet believed. They did not believe until after the resurrection, um, according to John Chapter 7, verse 5. So we would say Jesus' life was approximately 33 years. Um, 
Mary had been through a lot during those 33 years. We'd say, oh, well, it was quite a blessing to be the mother of Christ. It was, but there was a lot of sorrow as well. A lot of things that she did not understand until later. A lot of things that a lot of other people didn't understand. So I'm just going to quickly go through uh, some of the things that uh, she may have uh, felt or experienced. So again, I'm, I'm going off of commentaries here, but uh, very early in life, the girls, the Jewish girls, were betrothed. And so as early as, thir- as 12, so we'll just stick in there 12 to 15 years old that she was engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And so she was young, a young lady, when Gabriel made that announcement, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. Thou shalt conceive in thy womb. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which, is, which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So she trusted God rather than viewing this as a, a burden, She viewed it as a privilege and an honor. She said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Joseph, the one she was engaged to, uh, he felt betrayed, pain, anger, uh, when he found out that she was expecting. And um, there was suspicion there uh, by him, and so he was going to put her away uh, privately. But he was told by the angel to, to not do that, that this was of God. But other people, they did not understand or believe that. And there was a shadow of suspicion over his life, Jesus' life, also over Mary's life. Uh, Here's some of the things that happened uh, while she was caring for her child. Herod wanted to kill the baby Jesus. Once on a trip, she and Joseph lost their young Jesus. Um, Again, people in the community, is this not Joseph's son? Uh, They were offended by him. His brethren did not believe on him right away. Sometimes he would be out for uh, overnight in prayer. Uh, Maybe she didn't understand that. Uh, If he was still living at home, I'm not sure how all that was. Uh, He was gone 40 days and 40 nights when he was tempted in the wilderness. The religious leaders hated him, frowned on his interaction with sinners. Um, One time the Jews told him, We be not born of fornication, as in hint, hint, you were. We know who our father is, you don't, kind of thing. Uh, he was called a Samaritan devil. He was de- had a devil, he was mad. Um, apparently, since Joseph was not in the story here, uh, we would say he must have passed away already. So she had lost her husband. Uh, Simeon had said when they had taken Jesus into the temple, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. And so here she was suffering along with Jesus, not in the same way, not the way that uh, Catholics would uh, elevate her and make her um, to be um, a person that is without sin. But she was also suffering as she was watching her son um, being crucified. Luke 2.19 said, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that was at the beginning of the story, but I'm sure that she was continuing to ponder uh, different things throughout uh, his life and hers. She uh, too suffered as her son was humiliated and tried as a criminal and then, quotes, found guilty. And now Jesus is being uh, crucified. So Jesus said, John, please take care of her for me. So Jesus gave Mary into the care of John. John, knowing this is very hard for her, took her away. And from that hour on, uh, she was in his own home. According to history outside of the Bible, um, someone way back uh, said that Mary lived another 11 years after the death of Jesus. So um, if she were 13 to 16 when he was born, she would have been 46 or 49, somewhere around in there when he died, and lived to about 57 or 60. So um, those 11 years, who knows? Um, sometimes when there's so much heartache, so much sorrow, uh, someone can almost have a you know, breakdown and not be able to function or whatever. So I don't know, but Jesus provided for his mother um, so that when he was no longer around, uh, she would be cared for. Saying number four, this one is, um, in our language, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So I'd um, like to look at that now. 
God is a God of relationships. He enjoys fellowship. Mankind enjoys fellowship. And it's no wonder that we enjoy fellowship. It says, um, God said, let us make man in our own image. And so um, probably not so much that he has one nose and two ears as much as it, the way we are, you know, so that we enjoy fellowship and so on. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. And the first example of fellowship would have been, uh, it says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, which uh, was not fellowship because they had fallen, but this was common. This was something that God would do is come down and and, um, fellowship with Adam and Eve. Different people in the Old Testament that he fellowshiped with, Adam and Eve, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the prophets. And then Jesus was here on earth um, with his son, Jesus. Jesus, the son of God then, while he was on earth, uh, enjoyed interacting with his parents, his brothers and sisters, his disciples, children. Uh, The rich young ruler, the Samaritan woman, publicans, sinners, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And again, uh, his father in heaven, at times spending the night in prayer. So in Matthew 27, verse 46, I'm going to be reading from there a couple of verses. Matthew 27, verse 46. Sorry, verse 45. <clears throat> now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, verse 46 then, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm going to stop there. Jesus bore the full weight of our sin, even in the midst of bearing God's wrath for sin. And Jesus still at that point said, my God. So his agony did not overcome his faith. He actually was quoting from Psalm 22, verse 1, which starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me as well? In Psalm 22, if you continue reading that, many of your psalms start out maybe in a negative note and and end in triumph, and this one does. Psalm 22 resolves in triumph and hope, and so will Christ's suffering. The Father does not abandon Christ, rather... Christ abandons himself to the Father. But yes, Jesus did feel like um, even his own father was, um, had abandoned him. Now, in this particular section, it also talks about darkness. And um, again, if Jesus told John, here is your mother, take care of her, and he took her away, Possibly he took her before it got dark. I don't know. But there was darkness over all the earth, darkness from noon until 3, noon until 3 p.m. The Bible, I did not find it anyway. I don't think it says that there was silence. But if it suddenly got dark in the middle of the day for no known reason, I think we would all just get quiet and maybe look up at the sun. What happened? Who turned the lights out kind of thing? Uh, It'd scare us. Um, So darkness, probably also an eerie silence. There was an indescribable and oppressive darkness, which was like a vast black pall that hung over the earth and sea. The effect of the scoffing on the scoffing multitude was quickly perceptible. We hear no cries of mocking and derision, only just at the very end of the three dark probably silent hours. The silence is broken uh, by a mysterious and awful cry. Um, And it said that Jesus cried with a loud voice. Now, he probably did, but if all was quiet, it probably sounded especially loud. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, During this time, the veil of the temple is rent in twain. There's an earthquake, rocks split, graves opened, and dead saints came to life and were walking around. It's interesting in Luke 23, verse 44, it said that the darkness was over all the earth. So sometimes there's commentaries talking about different things. Oh, well, you know, there's darkness 
it was just for that particular area or whatever, um, maybe like the uh, children of Israel when they were in Egypt. But this specifically said that there was darkness over all the earth. Now, when there is, this was not a solar eclipse, but when there is a solar eclipse, it affects all animals. Uh, And so it gets dark. And once your total eclipse uh, is is complete or completely dark, everything falls silent. Bees, ants, birds return to their roost. Bats appear. Puzzled animals that are active during the day head back for their nighttime abode. And animals that are normally out at night come uh, come out because they think it's nighttime. They think they've overslept. And this happens worldwide, not just in one uh, area. Uh, there were other creatures that, that I heard or read, uh, whales, giraffes, different creatures, just they, they don't know how to act. So uh, can you imagine all over the whole earth, all the creatures, not humans, and then all humans, there's darkness for three hours, how that would have affected everyone uh, worldwide. Uh, they would have known something very unusual was happening this darkness, I told you it was not an eclipse. It was evidently not, uh, not an eclipse. It was supernatural because an eclipse at full noon is not possible. All right, I also mentioned that the veil was rent in twain. Uh, it was Mark fifteen thirty eight says it was from the top to the bottom. And uh, that veil hung between the Holy of Holies, which was the sanctuary of God's very presence, and the rest of the temple. And it reminds us, or reminded them, that there was a separation between God and man. And when that veil was torn, uh, it made uh, possible for free access for sinners to come to a holy and almighty God. Um, I suppose you would call it bunny trails. I don't know. I went on a variety of bunny trails, um, so I have eliminated a bunch of my notes. So probably a good thing but I did read through uh, most of Hebrews while I was looking at this and um, it gave me a greater appreciation for the book of Hebrews and also for what Jesus has done for us and so uh, encourage you to look at that again uh, thinking about this and how he um, Christ provided a better way for us broke down the middle wall of partition and so on Uh, In Hebrews 9, verse 12, it says, Neither the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. um, Chapter 10, verse 4, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. All right, and then in uh, chapter 10, verse 12 of Hebrews, Offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. And so we're coming up to the, um, another saying of, of Christ, it is finished. Um, he did this, he, he was the sacrifice, he went through that, and then that was finished. He did it one time, that's all he needs to do is once. John, when he saw Jesus, John the Baptist said, Uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the whole world, or the sin of the world. All right, and again, there's uh, a lot more verses that I could share on uh, Jesus and being the high priest and so on. Uh, I think for the sake of time, I won't. Um, But Jesus lives forever. Hebrews 7.24, he is a high priest forever. Your high priest's... Uh, would be a high priest for a while, and then they would get old and they would die. Then the next high priest would be a high priest for a while, and he'd get old and he'd die. But because Jesus lives forever, he will continue being the high priest. He is a high priest forever. All right. Um, The next thing... um, Saying number five. I don't know if you have these sayings uh, somewhere in your Bible or anything. I thought about giving them a copy to everyone, but anyway. uh, Saying number five. 
in John 19, verse 20, uh, 29, I think is correct. Uh, now, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. All right. Now, remember they had tried this before. Yes, John uh, nineteen twenty nine. They had tried this before, and Jesus did not accept it. Uh, but this time he did. What was the difference? Uh, well, he was not willing to be numbed. Uh, for our, to, he wanted to suffer completely without being uh, numbed or whatever. Um, and now he's pretty much done with his suffering. And he made a statement. He said, I thirst. All right. Now, I thirst is uh, saying number five. And that saying uh, was not a complaint. It was just stating a fact. He was thirsty. In uh, Psalm 22, verse 15, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And uh, there are three things that uh, are mentioned in there. Jesus is exhausted, he is thirsty, and he is uh, going to die. Um, so, yes, I thirst. I thought it was interesting for whatever, um, for whatever it's worth. Um, there were three Gospels that mentioned that they filled a sponge. And so if you've ever taken a sponge and filled it with something, just, it's just sopping, dripping wet. And they held it up to him. Um, also in um, one of the Gospels, John, John's Gospel, it says they put it on hyssop, which probably also is... Uh, symbolic uh, because of uh, using hyssop in the Old Testament uh, with sacrificial blood, uh, rituals for purification, and so on. So they filled the sponge and held it up to him, and he actually did drink. Now, I'm not sure how much, but he did um, quench his thirst. Um, The suffering is nearly past. The assignment is nearly completed, and he will soon proclaim, It is finished. Saying number six, so John uh, 19, verse 30, in verse 29, it says they'd uh, filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, he may have cried, it is finished, like lots of emphasis, I'm not sure. Um, But anyway... Remember, it says that Jesus cried with a loud voice. So, um, in John 17, Jesus was praying, uh, looking up to the Father, praying to him, and he said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. John 17, verse 4. So, how could he say way back prior to the crucifixion that he had finished the work? Uh, One commentary that I read, I thought it was interesting, it said that that first finished, I have finished, uh, this verb is an active voice indicating that he was done with his active ministry. He was done uh, two and a half, three years of ministry, I have finished the work. Um, That was his active ministry. And then in John 19.30, when he received the vinegar, And he said, it is finished. He bowed his head, gave up the ghost. That was his passive ministry, and that was when he was suffering. Uh, His suffering ministry was now complete as well. Now, we could also go back uh, many, many years uh, for the it is finished. Was it just the final 24 hours? Was it the, the previous three years? Or was it ever since before the worlds began, before creation? Because it says um, in Revelation 13.8 that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So even before creation, they had, the, the Trinity had planned that if they made a man and mankind fell, there would be a way of redemption. 
So it is finished. If you look at the Old Testament through those, those eyes, we'll try and go through it very quickly, but you've got creation, fall, Adam and Eve made clothes or tried to make clothing that was acceptable. It wasn't by God. Uh, out of fig leaves, and I thought of the verse, our righteousness, uh, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. There's a curse upon the serpent, a promise of the Redeemer, consequence for man's sin, the man's curse, mankind's curse, and then God made them coats of skins. And there's your first um, animal that has lost its life uh, because of sin. There's a scarlet thread that runs through the Old Testament. Uh, That represents Christ's atoning work on the cross. There was a twin, a second-born twin, who had a scarlet thread tied to his finger. Um, His father ended up, Judah, was in Jesus' heritage. The blood of the Passover lamb, the thread, scarlet thread that was woven in the tabernacle's curtains and in the high priest's ephod, the scarlet cord or rope that Rahab the harlot had put out and saved her and her household, uh, all the way up until Jesus uh, shedding his blood. Um, And so the scarlet would be a representation of blood. There was also in the Old Testament the ram that took the place of Isaac on the altar of Moriah. And God told Abraham, Thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And so um, there's a lot of types and shadows in there. The Passover lamb, the institution of the sacrificial system, and thousands of years of sacrifices all the way up to Christ's death on the cross. John the Baptist again, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. William Evans said, cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The Bible, the blood of Jesus stains every page, every book in both testaments. And then all of your pre, pre-New Testament history looked forward to the Atonement Act. All post-New Testament history looks back to it. The Old Testament might be compared to the writing of a check. The paper on which it is written is practically worthless, yet it is used and accepted in the place of money since it is backed by what is deposited into the bank. Christ's death uh, deposited from the foundation of the world as uh, that which backed Old Testament sacrifices and with his death on the cross, that deposit was released and all past checks were honored and paid. Again, Hebrews 9 and um, verse 26 and Revelation 13, 8 talk about uh, since the foundation of the world. All right, so it is finished. What is finished? Uh, Definitely Christ's suffering, definitely his ministry here on earth, but I uh, believe it would be reaching all the way back to prior to creation, the whole plan is finished. Uh, Mankind now has a way in which to be uh, redeemed back to God. The Father's wrath is satisfied. All right, and then we'll go to saying number seven. And again, the uh, crying with a loud voice that may have been, it is finished, but it said he cried with a loud voice That was a shout of triumph, and then he yields up his spirit. In other words, having borne the wrath of God's judgment against sin, he knew he had triumphed over Satan and the curse of sin. So in Luke 23, I'm going to be reading from Luke 23, verse 44. Just going to be backing up a little bit again to some verses that we would have read Luke 23 verse 44 and it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour and the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice he said Father into thy hand I commend my spirit and having said thus he gave up the ghost So no one truly took Jesus' life. He gave it. He gave it on his own, his own accord. Um, 
God had given him a specific task, and that task was to come uh, live among mankind and then to uh, die, give his life on behalf of the world, for the sins of the world. In John chapter 10, verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known of mine. Mine, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So there you go, I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, the disciples probably didn't have much of a clue at that point exactly what all he was talking about. When they thought back later, it made more sense to them. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. So there it is. He's going to die. He's going to come back to life. I lay down my life, that I might take it again. This commandment I have I received of my Father. No man taketh it from me. So yes, he was crucified, but that's not what... Uh, that's not how his life ended. It was he gave up his uh, he gave up the ghost. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. We see his complete trust in the Father. Jesus enters into death in the same way that he lived each day of his life. He offered up his life as a perfect sacrifice and placed himself in God's hands. Jesus blazed the trail. He finished the course. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The crucifixion points to a path of hope, taking the redeemed to a never-ending future with Jesus, his Father, and the Holy Spirit. So hopefully you were challenged by that. I think probably everyone that has done a topic will say that they benefited from the research. And um, it was good.